Well, it is good to see you all here as we, well, for me, it's beginning the new year with you guys. I wasn't here last Sunday, but I got to go to a church plant uh, that we helped work with a couple of years ago over in Lexington. And it was, it was a lot of fun. We, as y'all remember, if y'all were with us when we were in the school, we had all that equipment. And it was so nice to go into the, the church over in Lexington and to see that equipment there. I am, you know, I'm appreciative for it, but I am so glad it ain't here anymore. And so that was fun just to get to, to see all that stuff and see somebody else using it. Uh, but today we are beginning a new series of messages on courage. And I think there's a very fine line between success and failure with people. Uh, very, a very fine line. And I think oftentimes the thing that determines whether a person is going to end up having success in their life or whether their life kind of, kind of just sort of is like a resounding thud, what, what is the determining moment for that person is courage. And we're going to look at a guy today in our scripture, and we're actually over the next several weeks, we're going to look at several people throughout scripture who demonstrated courage in their lives. And because they did, it, it caused great transformation in the people that they came into contact with. Now, you might say, well, why are we going to be talking about it? Well, very simple. I believe that God has called for us as individuals, just as believers, as followers of God, to be courageous. And I believe that God has called Village Church to be a church that will be set apart. And for us to be a church that's going to be set apart to achieve what God has in store for us will require courage on our part. And so today we're going to look at a man named in the Bible named Joshua. He was a guy who basically was an administrative assistant to another man named Moses. But after Moses passed on from the scene, uh, Joshua took charge and Joshua ended up living this incredible life. Now, whenever I see stories like Joshua and I see one guy who started out at this level and then he ends up at a higher level, I ask the question, how did he do that? You know, how did Joshua go from being just like a regular guy to being a guy who was able to impact an entire nation? And what I discover in our text today is he was able to do that because he made a decision that he was going to be courageous in his relationship with God. And I believe that is the same calling that we have in our lives as well, that our church has as well. We have a calling to be a church of courage. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to t- take it and turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. And we're going to look in verse number 1. Uh, if you're curious as to where that is, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua. Uh, Bible drill for me when I was a kid, it paid off, although I never won. That's the sixth book of the Bible. So Joshua chapter 1, verse number 1. Uh, the predecessor to Joshua is a guy named Moses. Just going to ask you all a, quick, a couple of quick questions here. Got to make sure you guys are with me. Make sure that we're teaching good stuff here. Uh, uh, Moses, do you all remember the big thing Moses was known for? No. All right, great. I'm doing a great job. Uh, Moses was known for, he was a big gambler. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Moses was known for leading the Hebrew pe- uh, people out of Egyptian captivity. Does that ring a bell for you all now? Okay, so he led them out of Egyptian captivity. He, he did incredible things. He's got to perform miracles. Uh, he was a man that had a great vision. He, he led the people in the wilderness. But then there came a time whenever Moses passed on from the scene, he died. And whenever he died, he left a gaping hole 
behind concerning leadership for the for the rest of the Israelite people. Uh, to this day, Moses is known as one of the great prophets. But God had another plan in mind after Moses passed on. He had another leader that was going to rise up. And the next leader that was going to come was a guy named Joshua. And Joshua was following in the footsteps of Moses. But he had a new vision for the people. Uh, Moses, you remember, he led them out of captivity. And for 40 years, they wandered around in the desert. And uh, Joshua's mission now was to move them from the desert to where? The promised land. All right, first service, man. Y'all going to have to do better than this, all right? Because second service is competing with y'all. Okay, so they moved, from, they moved from the desert, and they were going to go into the promised land. And so that was the move that, that was going to have to be made. But to do that, now that sounds easy on paper, but it was going to require courage. It was going to require courage for Joshua and the people of Israel To make this move from the wilderness into the land that God had promised them. Now, we are talking about this today because I believe in a a similar sense, although in a lesser scale, that our church in the past year has, we we have moved into the promised land. Uh, For us, the promised land, of course, was we were nomads wandering in the wilderness for six, seven years, meeting in different schools. And then God has brought us here. And so that's an exciting place for us to be. But I've been asking the question, well, what's next? You know, we, we've shown up here, but, but what is it that God has in mind for us? You know, as we begin 2011, where, where does God want us as a church to go? What are the days going to look like for us in the future? See, like Joshua, I believe that if we're going to move into the future, that we too have a calling from God to be courageous. And I just want us very simply to look at, at Joshua's call to courage and what it involved for him and what it's going to involve for us as well. And the first call to courage that I see in Joshua's was life was that he was to stand on the promises, stand on the promises of God. Now, look in verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord, uh, the, Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And I'll give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Now, I I try to envision what it would be like to be like Joshua. Can, Can you imagine following somebody like Moses? Moses had led them out of captivity after 400 years. He'd stood toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, the, the ruler of Egypt, which is like a, a, a superpower. He's a man who performed numerous miracles. He passes on, and then it's Joshua's turn. How would you like to follow that guy? And you know, here's, what's Joshua's, you know, what's his leadership qualifications at this point? You know what Joshua had done at this point? The Bible says that he was Moses' aide. Now, he was not, he was not vice president. Uh, he was not a CFO of the corporation. It says he was Moses' aide. That word aide literally means, in the Hebrew, it means servant. Now, this is, there's no, no reason, really, to be very optimistic about the leadership skills and qualities of Joshua at this point. And there are probably some of us who might feel the same way about ourselves. We might say, I'm just a regular person. 
You know, I mean, I'm just a guy that, that, you know, I make a living, I go home, and that's, you know, I, I take care of my family, and that's pretty much it. I'm just a regular person. No way God could expect great things out of my life. You know, no way that God could expect great things out of Village Church. I mean, my goodness, we just came off of seven years in schools. I mean, surely we've got to do something more than, than what we're doing right now before God can use us. And I've had those same thoughts and questions, but what's so encouraging to me is that God is not interested in our abilities. God is not interested in, you know, what, you know, just how talented is Eric on his own? You know, that, that's not where the strength of God comes from. God wants us to see that our reliance is not to be upon our own abilities, but instead it is to be upon the abilities and the promises of God. God had promised the Hebrew people years before. He said, there is a land that I will give you. You go take it. It is a land I have promised you. And yet many people are afraid to act on the promises of God. Here's what I believe. I believe a lot of us spend most of our lives standing on the premises instead of standing on the promises of God. Because we get nervous. Well, is, is God really going to be true to his word? Can God really use somebody like me? Now, the Hebrew people, they, they stood on, they, they didn't accept the promises of God at the very beginning. Remember, that's why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, because they didn't trust God and take him at his word. God said, I want you to go into the promised land. And you might remember Moses sent out 12 spies to go into the promised land. They went over there and they looked into the land of Israel. So, man, this is a great place. I mean, it is awesome. It's beautiful. There's a lot of, a lot of food that we can eat. But the people that live there are huge. The people that live there, they're tough, and there's no way that we can have victory over them. And so they removed God from the equation concerning God's promises, and what happened to them? They missed out on the blessings of God. And guys, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. My fear is that I will do the same thing in my life, and we might do the same thing as a church. For we get nervous about moving forward and about being bold for Christ because we say there's no way God could use people like us. And yet, whenever I look into our text today, I see that on three different occasions, God told Joshua, he said, be strong and courageous. In other words, don't miss out on my promises that I've given you. I read a story about an Indian chief named, his name is Crowfoot. And uh, he lived on a, he had his land, his people's land, his tribe's land was up in Canada, near Alberta, Canada. This is in the 1800s. The Canadian Railroad wanted to build a railroad right through his land. And they said, we need permission to do it because we could get from one side of Canada to the other. But if we do it, the perk for you is we will give you a lifetime pass to ride the railroad anytime you want to. And after some discussion, uh, Crowfoot agreed. He said, that, that, that will be good. I will allow you to build it if I get a lifetime pass. So they gave him a lifetime pass to ride the railroad anytime he wanted to. He took that pass, he put it in a leather pouch, and he wore it around his neck for the rest of his life. But what's interesting is he never, ever used the lifetime pass. He just wore it around his neck. And I thought, you know, there, there's a lot of us who do the, who do the same thing with the promises of God. 
God gives us promises, and yet instead of using them, you know, we hang them around our neck or we put them in on, on nice little plaques. And the promises of God never affect our lives because we never apply them to our lives. Let's not be a church that misses out on the promises that God has for us. Let's not be a church that's going to be timid in what we believe God can do through us. You see, God's given us incredible promises. You must might say, what kind of promises has God given us? God has given us the promise of forgiveness. In Psalm 103.12, it says, as far as the east is, from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, a lot of us know that promise of God's forgiveness, and yet we are paralyzed by our past. And we say, How could God, even though He's promised this, how could God use somebody like me? How can He forgive me whenever I look at my past and I see what I've done in the past? And yet the Bible says when we trust God for forgiveness and we turn away from our sins, it says He will wipe our slate clean. He gives us a promise of forgiveness. He gives us a promise of abundant life. And that is a promise that comes from God for you. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And yet many of us live in discontentment and frustration because we are afraid to embrace the life that God calls us to live. I'm sure you can think of more promises that God's given that we don't act on. But here's what's important to remember. It's not what your outside looks like. It's not important what your abilities are. What's important is what is the ability of God? What is, what is God's ability with your life? Do you know God's abilities are supernatural? God's abilities are far greater than yours. We're told in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. If Jesus is the leader of your life, then you're not relying upon your ability. Instead, you are relying upon the ability of the Holy Spirit who lives within his followers. In our text, God is telling Joshua, trust me. Village Church, God is telling us the same thing today. He's saying, you trust me for the future that I have in store for you, but it's going to require courage on your part to act on it. What was Joshua's call call to courage? Well, first it involved on standing on the promises. Guys, we, we need to trust God in His Word. We need to stand on the promises of God. But another call to courage that Joshua received, that I believe we receive as well, is we are to stay the course. We stand on God's promises and then we stay the course that God gives us. Now look with me in verse number 5. It says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then God said, Be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. God did not want Joshua to deviate from the course that he'd set out for Moses originally. Remember, God had called Moses to get the people to follow him out of Egypt. Why? Because God had a new place for him. 
God had the promised land for them. Now, again, remember why they didn't end up in the promised land. They didn't end up in the promised land because they thought the people and the land were too strong for them. That the people were too strong for their God. And very well could have been the people could have looked at Joshua and thought, Hey, you know what? Man, if Moses can't lead us to the promised land, why in the world would we think that Joshua could do it? I mean, he was just his aide. And Joshua could have been thinking the same thing as well. But that's why God told Joshua some very important words in verse number 6. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you know that God gives those same words to his followers today? Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, you know his last words to us were? Matthew 28, 20. Jesus said to us, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's not going to leave his followers to hang out to dry if we decide that we're going to follow after him. He's not going to run and hide from us. He wants, to, he wants us to follow him because he's blazing a path for us that's going to ultimately lead to life. You know, you know what it takes for us to stay on the course that God sets out for us? Yes, it takes courage. Now, is it difficult for us to stay the course that God sets out for us according to his word? I'm going to be real honest with you. Yes. If you're going to live by God's word, I'm going to tell you right now, it will not be the easiest thing you've ever done. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew people, when they followed after, after Joshua, they're following God's plan. Did you know this was not going to be an easy plan for them to follow, to go into the promised land? And I find this so interesting. You know, whenever the people were going to go into the promised land, you know what it was going to mean for them? It was going to mean war. I mean, how many of y'all get excited about that? Hey, let's follow that plan and we're going to be in war. I mean, nobody wants to do that kind of stuff. It's not like whenever they said, hey, we're going to enter to the promised land. The people that live there, they were not going to step back and say, man, we've been waiting for you guys forever. I mean, y'all come on in here, take the land, it's all yours. They were going to have to fight for it. Now, this was God's plan for their lives. It was going to involve war. And it's not like the Israelites were some great known army. What have they been doing the last 40 years? Wandering in the wilderness. What have they been doing for hundreds of years before that? They've been slaves. And God was saying, I want you to go to battle. Now, why would you want to follow God's plan like that? Because God knows what he's doing. You know, Romans 8.31, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Now, why should we want to stay the course? You know, we can look around in life today and we see people that indulge themselves in doing whatever they want. We see people who look like they've got total freedom. And to be honest with you, it, it sometimes it looks kind of fun. I mean, that'd be nice. You know, just to live any way that I wanted to. But God's called his followers to be holy. Villagers, God has called us to live differently than the rest of the world. Why? Because God understands when we follow his path, his path will lead to life. And whenever we live like the world and live according to our own desires, I promise you that kind of life ultimately leads to destruction. 
In Romans 8, 6, and 7, it says the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Now, logically, it seems like everybody would be on the path to God. I mean, who wants to follow a road that's going to lead to destruction? Nobody wants to do that, logically, and yet so many of us choose to live that kind of a life. We get on a path that does not lead us to where we want to go. Uh, this past summer, I had the privilege of being a part of James's wedding. James and Lauren. James is our uh, music leader. And uh, James was getting married in Lauren's, the town where she lived in, where da- her dad's a pastor. It's in uh, Alma, Georgia. Not to be confused with Atlanta. Uh, Alma, Georgia is uh, just about five miles outside of, I think, where they filmed Deliverance. I'm just kidding. Uh, so it's, 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 near, it's, near the, it's near Florida. And so I'm like, man, I ain't got a clue how to get there. And so the day before the, the wedding, I borrowed my dad's GPS. And so, you know, I get on I-20 and I start driving. I know I'm going to be kind of heading down towards Florida. I got a little concerned when I'm reading the GPS and it has me get off on an exit in Augusta. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I mean, I'm going down towards Florida and I... I'm thinking, this is a really small town if I'm getting off in Augusta. And so I'm driving along, and I'm getting a little nervous. And after like an hour and a half, I'm looking at the thing, saying, it's telling me to go this way, but I don't believe this thing. I mean, there is no way. But uh, I, you know, I wanted to pull over and ask somebody if I was going the right direction. But nobody lives in between Augusta and Alma. And so there's nobody to talk to. So I just simply stayed the course. Now, after about, uh, I think it was about like five, six hours, you know, I squeezed in. Uh, 13 hours into five or six hours. After about five or six hours, guess where I showed up? I showed up in Alma, Georgia. Now, why? Because I stayed on the path that the GPS set out for me. The GPS, believe it or not, has a little bit better knowledge of all the roads out there than I do. Now, Joshua was called to stay on the course that God set out for him. And you see, God, like a GPS, has a better view and understanding a better view and understanding of how to live a life of meaning and purpose more than we do. And as Joshua stayed on the course God set up for him, the promised land came into view. He's able to see it. Now, guys, if, if we are going to move from one level to the next as a church to be a people of impact, a people who truly make a difference in the lives of the people in our community, it will require courage, and that involves standing on the promises of God. That's also going to involve staying in the course. The final thing it's going to involve is starting the process. We've got to start the process. I want to read to you our last verse we're going to read today. It's in verse number, uh, verse number 11. Joshua ordered the officers of the people. He said, go to the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I like this verse a whole lot because what I see is that Joshua moved from being a person who talked about what needed to be be done to a person who began to act on what needed to be done. Now, a process was involved in that. Joshua spoke to the people. He said, guys, it is time to pack up. And you know what I like about that is I like that whenever you speak out what God's calling you to do, you are holding yourself accountable. 
Other people will say, well, that's what God wants us to do. It was brave for him to do this. He gave a timeline as well. You, know, you remember what the timeline was? What did he say? He said, we're leaving in three days. He didn't say, hey, guys, you know, in just, you know, in a while, whenever we feel led, we're going to go. He said, in three days, we're packing up and we're going to cross the river and we're going to go claim what God has called us to have. And he said, and we're going to be victorious. Before they ever fought a battle, I find it very interesting that he told the people, he said, we're going to win. Why could he say that? Because he trusted in the promises of God. Now, there's a lot of us that are very good, and I'm one of them. I'm very good at, at being able to tell you what, what needs to be done. I can look at certain things and say, I see shortcomings here. I see problems here. This is how you need to fix all that stuff. But in general, what I've learned is that I can be real good at talking and not real good at acting, at moving forward. Joshua, he saw what needed to be done, and Joshua said, we're going to get up and go. I believe for the Christian church, for, for many of us, that, that's where we get into trouble. Is that people see us as being a bunch of people who like to talk, but who don't do jack diddly. And it's time for us to do it. To move forward. To live out our faith. To impact the lives of others. I, I, I just want to share with you, yeah, there's some people in our church who've done a great job of not just talking, but doing give you a couple of examples. One is this lady in our church named Teresa Ellswick. Some of you might know her. Um, in her in her workplace, she had a coworker who was in need of a kidney. Her coworker came to and talked to her, and Teresa told her this. She said, "When the time comes, I want you to come talk to me." Now, I could say something like that, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, "I hope she never comes to talk to me." The time came. She came to talk to Teresa, and last this past year, this past fall. Teresa gave her kidney to a co-worker because she wanted to see her life changed. We have another lady in our church, Michelle James, who sings up here. Michelle felt called to work with, with people in the inner city in Columbia. And she knew that was a need. Now, she didn't just talk about it. She decided to do something about it. So she got up and she went down to Gonzales Gardens and she plugged in with the ministry. And she began to work with men, mentoring kids collecting supplies for them, loving those kids and caring for them, trying to get them schooling. Now, and I just think that's awesome. People from our church, he said, you know what, it is time to quit talking and it is time to begin doing. And that is the calling that we have as well. Now, now how can we do that with people? Just a few things we can do. One, we pray for them. We spend time with them. We invite them into the church. We tell them how Christ has impacted our lives. Now, you might say, that stuff sounds kind of scary. That's where we remember the promise that God gave Joshua. And the promise that he gives to us as well. That promises you be strong and courageous. Joshua had a call to courage. And his call involved him standing on the promises of God, staying the course, and starting the process Let's make the commitment today that we are going to begin to look to see how we can serve and live for Jesus and pray that God will begin to open up doors with the people that we work with, that we go to school with, so that God can use us to touch their lives. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you. That you have given us a picture of a man of courage. 
And his courage not only led his people to freedom, it led them to the very own land. And Lord, today, because, because he followed through on your promise, God, there is the nation of Israel today. A group of people whose lives have been forever changed because a man named Joshua was willing to act. God, I pray that there will be people generations from now who live in Columbia and in South Carolina whose lives are different because there were a group of people in Blythewood, South Carolina who said, we are going to quit talking and now we are going to act. And we're going to pray for people. We're going to serve people. We're going to talk to our neighbors about the saving power and grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As the band will begin to play some music, I'm going to ask our ushers. They'll come and they're going to pass around the elements for the Lord's Supper. First, we will take the bread. As we take the bread, it is a reminder that comes from Jesus in John chapter 11. That his body was given for us. It was given for us that we might have freedom. This month we're talking about courage. And I thought, man, what a great way for us to begin the whole discussion of courage by looking at the greatest man of courage, Jesus Christ, and the decision that he made to willingly lay down his life for us that we might be able to have life as well. And in John chapter 11, Jesus was meeting with the disciples. It's the Passover supper where they were remembering their deliverance from Egypt. And now the Lord's Supper represents something a little different for us. It represents our freedom from the bondage of sin. Jesus gave his body for us as a sacrifice. So that is what this bread represents that we hold in our hands today. Jesus told his disciples when he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which was broken for you. He said, take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take this bread and to eat this bread as followers of Jesus in remembrance of the body and the life that was given for you. So let us take and eat in remembrance of Jesus. thank you for your body that was given for us. I thank you, Jesus, for the agony that you went through because of love. I thank you, Jesus, for your courage that you did not just talk about what needed to be done, but Lord, you stepped up and you did what needed to be done. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Next, our Lord took the drink, took the wine, and our ushers will pass around the juice for us at this time. And this juice represents the blood of Jesus. Represents His blood that was shed for His people. 
that there might be freedom. See, the Bible tells us that sin carries with it a price. See, we cannot live as we choose, as we want, and then not to expect there to be any consequences. We're told in Scripture that the wages of sin is death. That verse goes on to say the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to shed His blood for you. And in Hebrews it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So why did Jesus bleed? Why did He die? It was to satisfy the payment of debt that every person in this world owes. See, Jesus shed His blood to cover our sin. To pay our debt. And so as Jesus sat with the disciples at the Last Supper, the Bible tells us that He took the cup, He poured the wine, and He said, Take this drink and do this in remembrance of Me. So let us take the cup and as we drink this, remember that Jesus Christ shed His blood for you. Jesus, we thank You that You are a God of courage, that You are a God of sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that we will be a church of courage, a church of prayer, a church that touches people's lives, a church where we will see healing, where we will see restored marriages, where we will see children come to faith in You. And God, when it comes to the issues of right and wrong, may we be a church that will stand with Jesus Christ, regardless of what the world says. I pray these things in Jesus' name.